Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Stingers Up Sacramento State Hornet football podcast. I'm Jason Ross. Uh, thank you so much for checking us out. And what a week ahead. It is Montana week. The Hornets head to Missoula to take on the fifth rank Grizzlies. Today on the podcast, we will look back at the win against Southern Utah. Joe Davidson, who works for the Sacramento Bee, who was at the game, has covered this team, has covered a lot of the high school players that are, that are now Hornets, will join us. We'll talk about several things, including uh, the latest news with Elijah Dotson. And we'll get an opponent preview today. We'll visit with the opposing broadcaster, Riley Corcoran, the voice of the Grizz, uh, will join us to give us a little bit perspective on what's going on with the University of Montana football program. But let's start you out with last week, a little game recap here. I, I thought it was just the exact kind of game the Hornets needed. They were sharp. They got some guys healthy off the bye week. And they really looked good, set a good tone, got off to an excellent start defensively, offensively, special teams was good, and it's the exact kind of win this Hornet team needed. You know, I had a chance to talk to Coach Taylor during the week for the Coach's Show, and one of the things he pointed out to me, which, you know, you've seen the Hornets play before the game on Saturday against Southern Utah, and as they got through the bye week and evaluated the team, statistically, what the offense was doing was really moving the football. I mean, just an amazing job of that. Up in the top 20 in passing and in total offense, it just didn't feel like this team was as complete. And he said, you know, after looking at all this, we're really happy with the way we're moving the ball. We're just getting too many field goals compared to touchdowns. Well, then let's take you to last Saturday where Sacramento State now started getting touchdowns. They added a few field goals because they do have a really nice weapon in Kyle Sinkowski. But uh, the dual quarterbacks worked well. The running game set a season best all while playing without Elijah Dotson, preseason All-American and two-time All-Conference performer. More on that coming up with Joe Davidson. But let's kind of listen back to some of the better moments from Saturday's win against Southern Utah. First and goal from the four. Perkins in the tailback. It's an end around to Gable. Gable sprints to the pylon. He gets in. Touchdown, Sacramento State. An end around to Isaiah Gable, his first touchdown of the year. He becomes the sixth Hornet to score a touchdown. And just a couple of minutes into this game, the Hornets lead 6-0. The Hornets force a three and out on defense, get the ball on offense, and just like a knife through butter down the field. They already have the most rushing yards in a game this year since week one. We're still in the first quarter. Here's another rushing attempt. It's O'Hara. Gets to the right edge. He's going to fight and go airborne. He hurdled the defender, lands in the end zone. Touchdown, Sacramento State. Wow. What an athletic play. He he was Robbie Knievel, not Evil Knievel, because he stuck the landing. He did stick the landing. Ball is going to be snapped from the Hornet 44-yard line. They've got to get to the 38 in Hornet territory. Miller, pocket holds up for him, dances to his right, now goes back to his left with pressure coming, lobs it downfield, and it's intercepted by Sacramento State. That was just thrown into an open space. Abel or Daz caught it, and look, he's looking at his right hand that's completely taped. You can't yep. even see his fingers. Yeah. How did I catch it? I don't know, but he did. Interception down to the five-yard line. Well, the receiver and the defensive back were on the sideline, and he just backed up as the safety, and kind of a slow, fluttering pass with no sauce on it yeah, no was sauce. a pretty interception, a pretty easy interception. In fact, it was so easy that a guy with one arm... Yep. Was able to catch it. The club hand. Hornets go to Jake Dunaway here now to start second and ten in the red zone. It's a play fake. Dunaway to throw. Throws a fade to the corner. Coming back. Making the catch. Touchdown, Sacramento State. The first one ever for Devin Gandy. 
That Gandy. was underthrown maybe on purpose, and Gandy came back to the ball, caught it, falling into the end zone. Touchdown, Hornets. That was well done. Oh, Gandy came and he gave without taking. And if Danny could talk to us right now down there, there's nothing Danny Sullivan loves more than the back shoulder throw, uh. the back shoulder touchdown. We see the thumbs up. That was awesome. That was perfect. That was absolutely perfect. What a drive for the Hornets. Ball we placed at the 30-yard line. Made a 45-yarder earlier and is going for the 40-yarder. Yep, from the right hash, kicking away from Highway 50. He's already made nine field goals on the season. Snap comes in. The kick has plenty of distance, and it is good. Another one for Kyle Senkowski, an absolute weapon for the Hornets. Put three more on the board. It's 34-13. Second down and 10. Again from the shotgun, it's Miller. Pressure coming up the middle. Ball thrown over the middle. Intercepted. It's Mapu again. Marte Mapu trying to get to the outside to the 25, to the 20. Stays on his feet to the 15. Refuses to go down and tackled at the 11-yard line. Flag comes in multiple from the backside officials at the end of the play. Shouldn't negate the interception, but we were talking about Mapu, but that's the second pick of the game. On second and goal from the three, Dunaway changing the play at the line of scrimmage. Has Perkinson as the tailback behind him. Done away to throw. Looks over to the far side. Wide open. Caught. Touchdown, Pierre Williams. There was a crossing route in the end zone. Pierre Williams was running towards the back pylon, and he just had to wait for the ball to get there. That was like a pass on the beach. So one more snap. The Hornets are going to stay perfect in big sky play. They're going to go back over 500 and get to 3-2, but most importantly 2-0 in the conference. The snap will go to the third quarterback of the day, Caden Bennett. He is going to field this one at the 22, goes forward, takes a knee, and that is going to expire this one. The teams will come out and meet at center field. The Hornets win it 41-20 behind a season-high 41 points. Good defense, couple of picks by Marte Mapu. Great ground game, and Sacramento State, again, goes to 3-2 and overall and 2-0 and in big sky play. Your final, 41-20. So a really nice victory. It's exactly what the team needed. Uh, They stay undefeated in conference. They get their first home win of the year, and now they prepare themselves for the University of Montana, which will be a massive, massive undertaking in Missoula. But let's start first with kind of that story. Uh, We had heard during the week that Elijah Dotson had taken first-team reps. The Hornets had played four games, so one more game and his eligibility would expire this year. That means he he would complete the final year of his time in the program, but he didn't play that fifth game, didn't play last week, and for the time being is uh, not on this roster. A very interesting time, very interesting development. And as we find out more, we'll share that with you. But uh, I kind of want to get into that with our first guest today on the podcast, and that is Joe Davidson. And here's that conversation I had with Joe. You were one of the people that was able to uncover the story, uh, the surprising story about Elijah Dotson, just a truly gifted running back in the Sacramento State program, has played four games but it looks like his season is now done. He, at least for the short term, he's he's done with the Hornet program. That was a bizarre story. Yeah, it was, and it's a disappointing story. I, I covered Elijah Dotson for a lot of years. I covered his dad, who was a star running back, Robert Dotson, some thirty years ago, um, which tells you how long I've been doing this. And so <laughs> it's it's been a good family. It's a tight knit family, and he left for family personnel reasons. And uh, Sac State coach Torto says we. Wish him well. We all love Dot. Uh, everybody calls him Dot, and um, others called him an All-American. He was a preseason All-American. It's a big loss, and he um, really prided himself, Jason, for being a, more of a team leader 
the season, and um, you know he's out right now. And you know this is a cutthroat business. You got to just pick up and move on. You know Southern Utah didn't care. Montana this week doesn't care. You just got to move forward. You and I were talking off the air earlier. It's like a, a, a you know having an injury. You got to replace guys. And um, so the Hornets wish. Elijah Dotson, well, he may be back. I, I doubt it this season. He may come back next fall. Um, this is a small window for a guy you, you, who wants to play pro ball, and he could do a lot of things. He could catch the ball. He could run the ball. Uh, uh, he's experienced. Um, and um, so he's, um, you know, it's a, it's a loss, but uh, B.J. Perkinson stepped right in. You saw that. His first carry, uh, Jason, was, what, a 56-yard run, and then they, they rushed for a season-high rushing total, uh, won the game. They're 3-2, and two, the Hornets. So, um, you know, Troy Taylor, the coach, is is an expert in getting depth, and especially in the skill positions, and, and that's a perfect example right there running back. Yeah, the, the whole thing, too, was bizarre for me, uh, finding out the news and then seeing him not out there, not playing. Because I know he hasn't had the same kind of year as being a two-time Big Sky first-team All-Performer and a preseason All-American. Um, so it wasn't, to your knowledge, it wasn't anything playing-based or team frustration. It was more of a family issue. Well, we're hearing it's family, but you know maybe part of the personality issues is he's frustrated with his role. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not going to press uh, Coach Taylor on that. Uh, I respect him too much, and I respect the kid too much. I did reach out to um, Elijah Dotson. I call him a kid. He's a man. He's a football man. But, um, you know, anytime anybody who's younger than me, they're, they're kids. Uh, and he says he's fine. Uh, he appreciated uh, me reaching out since we've known each other. And um, but you know, I'm you know, I'm surprised. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed for him. Disappointed for Sac State because he's an anchor, and I know some coaches in the Big Sky raved about him. He's a guy they couldn't solve. Uh, uh, you know, he, he 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 split out wide, as you remember, in 2019 when the Hornets won the Big Sky, and he's catching 70 yard touchdown plays, and he's running tough between tackles. So. Um, not sure exactly what it is, but it's enough where Coach Troy Taylor said he doesn't want to play football right now. Football's not a priority. Uh, and so that doesn't sound like he's going to transfer. You can't transfer right now and expect to be on somebody's roster next week. Um, so we'll see. Maybe maybe he just needs a little time yeah. to sort it out and figure it out. And, and the Hornets have to move on. Um, resilient bunch, um, you know, a lot of depth and a lot of talent with, with aspirations to get right back into the playoffs. Yeah. And you saw him Saturday, so as the team did move on, they played without Dotson. You referenced it earlier, Joe. They did have their best rushing game of the season, but I also think their best game collectively, and they, I think they believe they have gotten better as the season has progressed. And this far in, I personally am surprised that we're still watching two quarterbacks, but Asher O'Hara and Jake Dunaway are getting it done. Uh, I've never seen anything quite like this. What's your what's your thought on, on the two-quarterback situation for Sacramento State? I totally agree, and I was talking to Coach Taylor after the game and Jake Dunway after the game, and I agree with you, uh, Jason. I thought it was the best performance, best outing. Um, it was the offensive outburst I think everybody expected. Sac State expected to be a prolific team, and um, the defense would take a little time. The defense has certainly played well of, of late. Um, Troy Taylor's never done a two-quarterback thing. In all his years in coaching high school ball, and when he was uh, – play caller off at the point area, but Eastern Washington and same role down Utah in the Pac-12. And, and that's actually, you just, normally it doesn't work, but I see more of it. UC Davis has done a lot of it this season with three quarterbacks. Um, and if you think about it, it's like, well, what are you trying to do? You're, you're trying to keep the team, the, the defense guessing and moving backwards and on their heels and you're trying to get first downs. And, uh, you know, Troy says we don't 
do this. It's just something that we're doing, and Dunaway is the better passer. Um, O'Hara is the more dynamic runner, dual-threat guy. We saw what O'Hara can do, his diving, leaping, highlight touchdown at Cal and then kind of the duplicate against Southern Utah. And Dunaway said later, he goes, you know, that's my evil twin. He can do things I can't do. Um, But O'Hara says, well, he can pass the ball like I can't. And so what makes it work, Jason, is they're great friends. And it's not lip service. It's not the school saying that these guys are buddies. They back each other. Uh, Otherwise, it would divide the team. It would buckle the team. Um, And I thought Troy would settle on one for league play, but I think he's going to keep doing this while it keeps working. And he may need both of these guys to play beyond their skull um, at, at Montana, which is which is just a monster opponent. But uh, I don't think there's going to be four feet of snow, so it's winnable. Yeah, well, that's the thing, Joe, of all the years I've done this. Uh, the Hornets have beaten Montana a couple times in Sacramento. They've never been able to win at Missoula. They've had so many close calls. Um, this is a good matchup this weekend, and I think if, if – the Hornets want to get back to where they were two years ago. This would be one of those landmark, benchmark, season-type wins if they can pull it off in Missoula. Absolutely. And what's the beauty of college football? Take a look at Montana, which has been a big sky powerhouse for, for forever, um, a, a gold standard, one national championships, big sky championships. Um, and so we think of college football, and the fun of it is upsets. And look at look what Montana did in the season opener. It, it, it beat the Washington Huskies in Seattle and an opener, and that certainly turned heads. Uh, only loss this season for Montana was a, a close one to Eastern Washington, which is a national powerhouse. And take a look what happened to UC Davis just the other day, Jason, yeah. where uh, they go up to uh, Idaho State. The, the the Aggies ranked seventh in the country, unbeat, and just get taken the task. It was twenty four three at one point. So upsets happen. Um, Sac State, um, Sac State's defense is. Is playing well, have to, 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 to in, in this conference where, where points happen in, in bunches. And kind of a cool side note is the Sac State defensive coordinator, Andy Thompson, is a Montana Grizzlies alum. He was a three-year starter for them back uh, some 20 years ago. So he knows that. I, I don't They might even have a statue of the guy out there. Uh, but, you know, so that's, that's a fun thing for him, and he's challenged the defense. And, um, um, you know, and we'll see. And, and Troy Taylor would be a tough guy to have for plan against you know he's going to have something up the sleeve without having to reinvent the wheel look how isaiah gable a receiver five foot four scored the first points the other night and you were you were on the radio call you were probably thinking, hey that's that's gable he's not normally a ball handler but you know get the ball to your guys and, and, and let him take off yeah uh while we have you here joe too um your years of experience in covering high school football, where where the Hornet program is now with Troy Taylor, with all the connections they have to Folsom, in your circles of whether that's current coaches or prospective college uh, high school players that are going to go to college, how much more are people talking just about Sacramento State's program? How much better off are they right now amongst the recruiting area? Oh, it's it's people always complain and bemoan that, you know, Sac State doesn't recruit locally. Well, John Bullock did 20 years ago. We remember that. Steve Moshagian did, and Marshall Spurbeck did, and Jody Sears did. Not every kid's going to stay at Sac State or, or stay home. Um, they like to, to go away. But Troy Taylor and Chris Richardson, when they took over the, the Hornets program, Chris Richardson, the assistant head coach, a longtime wholesome coach with, with, um, with, with Troy Taylor, um, they brought in 
you know, a lot of local guys, um, the season before Troy took over in 2018, there wasn't a single Folsom player on the roster or a single Del Oro or Granite Bay or Grant player. And you got to have guys from those programs. And the other day was, uh, I think, a senior day of sports for high school recruits, including uh, – or junior and senior day. And Anthony Garcia um, is a star quarterback at Capital Christian mm-hmm. here in Sacramento. And his dad, uh, Aaron Garcia, played for the Sac State Hornets years ago. He's the assistant coach for Capital Christian. So they're 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 recruiting frontline guys around here, and and people are talking about. It. They're excited about it. If you talk about you know, well, what the Sac State offer, well, you're going to get an education. That's a, that's certainly a, a, a no brainer. It's a it's a, a must have part of the discussion. But you're going to play wide open football. You're going to have uh, a good time. And I think more and more kids are realizing, Jason, that. Yeah, everybody wants to go to the Pac-12. Everybody wants to play at Alabama and Clemson, but that's not, you know, that's not realistic. It just doesn't happen. Um, uh, you got to go with what fits, and I think the Sac State Hornets have kind of made those inroads. So is UC Davis, and that's why I think Sac State and UCD could be competing and should be competing for Big Sky and playoff berths every year with the Causeway, the last game of the regular season. I think it's, it's right there. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so much of both of these programs recruit, California don't need to go outside. Don't need to be recruiting Texas. Um, just recruit California. Yeah, we're on the verge of having that. I mean, we've had Davis win the league title a couple years ago. The Hornets doing it two years ago, and they're both good this year. I mean, I, I see that as something with both coaches, Coach Hawkins and Coach Taylor, as these two teams being being the Montanas and Montana States or Easterns and Weber's of this league for hopefully for years to come. I agree, and, and just good weather here. Uh, you know, does it? At least scraping the windshield of ice and snow like up in Montana and <laughs> Montana State or Eastern Washington. And, uh, um, you know, so that's uh, – and there's some talk of UC Davis trying to get into a, a bigger conference and moving up in division. You'd have to expand the stadium. And, and Sac State, I think, is talked about, too. You have to expand the stadium. Well, right now, the big sky is a big enough challenge, and so is the FCS playoff level. Uh, and the beauty of that level is 24 teams get in the playoffs. And so you can suffer a loss and still get in. Um, and so I, I think, um, you know, if Sac State could win at Montana, that's going to certainly resonate. I think Montana's ranked six. If Sac State goes up there and plays well, it still resonates. What, what hurts really for playoff stuff is if you go somewhere and just get blasted 42-7. Right. I don't see – I just don't see that happening to Sac State, not with the experience, not with the coaching uh, and all those things. I just cannot see um, – actually getting blown out in anything. You know, like the Cal game, twenty five right. point underdog, it was thirty it was forty two thirty. That was a you know, they, they challenged them and they competed. Uh we knew they would. Um and so um, um I, I think I think Sac State's in pretty good shape and um and, and the one loss that really kind of stung um was the home opener against uh, northern Iowa, thirty four sixteen. So that's a long time powerhouse and it just yeah, sometimes clunkers happen. If that Sac State's clunker and got it out of the way, then, then uh, blue skies ahead. All right, we move on from Joe and his perspective on this game and the Hornets and where the program is right now and where they can ultimately get to. Uh, with the matchup this week, what's ahead? A trip to Missoula, Montana. It's a beautiful place. I love going there. It's the best atmosphere in FCS to me, certainly in the big sky. But I've seen too many heartbreaks, too many losses, too many blowouts there, too many close games, too many opportunities for the Hornets to break through and win there. They just haven't done it. So that's the task at hand on Saturday against the fifth-ranked Montana Grizzlies, a great defense, a good offense, 
and a team that uh, knows they've got an incredible home field advantage. So let's get a little more perspective on them with their radio play-by-play voice, Riley Corcoran. Here's my conversation with Riley. Hornet fans, you know this, a juggernaut. The Montana Grizzlies now ranked number five. They've got a landmark win this year to open up against Washington, just something unheard of to hold the Huskies to the points. They did seven points and win in the house of the Pac-12 team. But Montana's been good. You know that. Hornet fans, you know it. And let's get some more perspective on them with uh, their voice, Riley Corcoran, joining us. Riley, how are you? I'm doing great, Jason. Great to be talking football with you. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I say this every time, Riley. I, you guys are great hosts. There's no place I love to go more than Missoula. But unfortunately, the Hornets have never, ever, ever seen a win there. And I've uh, seen some close calls, seen some blowouts, seen a little bit of everything. It's got to be pretty nice to have that home field advantage. It certainly is. And I think even more so with Coach House that uh, he really plays to the, the crowd that he's got. And especially this weekend, it always seems like, Jason, that Montana plans a pretty big reunion or a big event when the Hornets come to town. It was Dave Dickinson's Hall of Fame induction a couple of years ago. And then this season, you're going to have the 2001 National Championship team have their 20-year reunion. So it always seems to be a, a little bit bigger of a party when the Hornets come to Missoula. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I don't know what kind of impact that will have on the players playing, the specific current Montana Grizzly players, but I know that crowd will be in a frenzy celebrating the 20-year uh, anniversary. They will, and they're, the Grizz are going to come out with throwback uniforms. So if there's anything else, it might just be that, that hype and the buzz at the very beginning. But just to put the numbers to life a little bit, 12 straight wins for the Grizzlies at home. They're averaging, outscoring their opponent 48-15. to 15. Every win's by, been by 17 points or more. So it's not only winning, it's been absolute dominance here. But, hey, something's got to give, right? I mean, Troy Taylor's perfect on the road against FCS opponents since he's been the coach at Sac State. So, I don't know, from a number standpoint, something's going to have to give on Saturday. Well, let's start with you guys and the health. Uh, certainly a different quarterback last week. Uh, Chris Brown gets his first start. Cam Humphrey, where are we on the on the health of the quarterback position? Well, they're hoping Cam Humphrey can come back here in the very near future. And you look at what happened with him and getting hurt against Eastern Washington. It was kind of worst-case scenario at the beginning, but... Doc Cam out there um, at practice this week. He's hoping to dress out. You know how it all goes. It's a matter of how he feels the old game time decision. But um, we'll see. I mean, Chris Brown uh, in the game last week certainly looked like a freshman, I would say, in the first half from jitters. And, and everyone kind of raised their eyebrows at a 3 to nothing halftime score. But this Grizzly team is kind of built for the second half and to wear teams down. He settled in a little bit nicely. And there's a lot of confidence in Chris Brown, whatever it may be. And uh, we'll see. It's going to be for all of us up there, including me and you in the press box, looking at both quarterbacks warming up and seeing who's going to get the call. I have to admit, I saw the score last week at one point and went 3 nothing. What's going on with Montana? And then I see that there were several players out defensively, which is certainly the strength of the team. Quarterback change. What, what did you see in, in kind of a slow start, but in the end, I mean, a pretty comfortable win for the Grizz. It was, but at the same time, I think a lot of psychological factors play in there, right? The coaches, the locker room never wants to admit it. But there was just such an emotional hangover from the Eastern Washington game. I mean, you put both games in perspective, a, a top-five matchup that's on ESPN2, the bright lights. But more than anything else, Jason, it was the game time. I mean, the game didn't get over till midnight local. It's a four-hour drive back from Cheney to Missoula. The players got back at 5 in the morning, and just they were behind all week. And it was just kind of lagging, uh, maybe in intensity. And then you throw in the, the fact the injuries and a little bit of sickness that went through the locker room. It was just really hard to get up for a non-conference game the week after playing under the bright lights in the big stage. And I think the Grizzlies finally woke up a little bit at halftime. But it, it was a certain 
it was certainly a bizarre game on a lot of fronts. We were looking at each other in the first half going, okay, who's this football team we see out there and why are they wearing Grizzly uniforms? Mm. It, it didn't look like him until the third quarter. Right, if we go back to that Eastern game, it, it proved to be a pretty amazing game that everybody thought it would be. Uh, your defense is so good. Was that just uh, the magic of Eric Berrier that, that showed a little vulnerability because the stats suggest everything you guys do defensively, nobody can really score and move the ball on you? It is. It's Eric Berrier. I mean, he is so special in every sense of the word, Jason. I mean, just a big playability. Uh, I think the Grizzlies were able to get to him a lot. I mean, five sacks to try and bring him down. They were disguising pressure, which you're going to see a lot on Saturday. But at the end of the day, you just got to tip your cap. There, there were a couple plays that Berrier made. I mean, they came down and scored in their opening drive. And then from the middle of the first quarter till the beginning of the fourth quarter, they were held out of the end zone. And that is such a big feather in the cap for any defense that watches the Eastern Washington offense go. But it's one of those things, you know, you can only hold them down for so long. And, and Berrier was just special in that game. But with that being said, uh, that, I love the sour taste in the Grizzly defense's mouth because they obviously feel they're elite, and, and the numbers outside of maybe that fourth quarter in Cheney uh, certainly prove that. You've seen good teams there, Riley. They're now number five. Uh, they've got the landmark win over Washington. Uh, schedule's pretty favorable, and the defense is amazing. Is this defense as good of a defense you've seen the Grizzlies ever have? It, it is the best defense that I've seen the Grizzlies ever have. It really is, Jason. Certainly since I've been here and following this team, even growing up as a kid, it's ironic that I'm saying this, and I promise it's not just for the easy connection. This is the best defense that I've seen since the 2001 National Championship team, and that was a squad that was able to hold Furman to six points in the national title, and they were always talked about. And the comparisons that are coming out of Grizz fans in Missoula in general, that this team is the best defensively since 01. And the way they fly around is just so much fun to watch. And I tell you what, from a quarterback standpoint, which is going to be interesting this week with two quarterbacks trying to read <laughs> the Grizzly defense, of course, is they disguise pressure all over the place, and they bring pressure a lot. So it'll be a fascinating matchup on Saturday. Uh, on the flip side, offensively, obviously you guys are getting enough done there. What do you like about what the Grizz uh, can present offensively? Well, I think they're they're more diverse. And it seemed like that the last time that you guys saw the Grizzlies in 2019, it, it was the Dalton Sneed show where he's flinging it around the yard a little bit and he could run. But really, as far as a running game, it was 50-50 and inconsistent at times. But I, I think that they have really established the run, even with three freshman running backs. Xavier Harris has just been a godsend this year, second in the big sky in rush yards, and, and he's okay getting uh, a heavy workload. And I think a lot of talk for the Grizzlies uh, around camp and one of Bobby Howe's focuses coming in here was building the offensive and defensive fronts up to championship level and what it takes to compete maybe in late December and early January. And I think that you really can tell that. The improvement of the offensive line has made this group, and especially this offense, so much more balanced from a run-pass scenario. I have to say, I've seen so many games up in Missoula that have had snow and different things. We, knock on wood, have been fortunate uh, when the Hornets have visited there. What's the Saturday weather selection going to look like? You know, let me put on my meteorologist hat for you, Jason. <laughs> Are you it, at the it, green board? Going, oh, yes, I am, and I'm not wearing green either, so I don't disappear. <laughs> it's perfect. It is going to be a perfect day for football. I mean, absolutely perfect in the high 50s, low 60s with uh, – um, just a perfect sunny day, and we won't have any elements. You know, there's funny you say that because even last week we're thinking, you know, it, it wouldn't mind if we had a little bit of Montana early winter to welcome in those California boys a little bit. But, no, it, it's going to be a great day for football on Saturday. I look forward to it. I know we were talking before uh, we got on here about the way the Big Sky is set up. It's a good conference. The conference is great, really. 
Um, but it's a lot about who you don't play. I know on the Hornets side of things, we've talked about avoiding Montana State and Eastern and Weber. That's favorable. You guys uh, don't have to see Weber or Davis. A lot of the way this conference is set up is who you don't play on a season. You absolutely set that up perfect because the conference is as good as it's ever been, and it's a great league, but that is a massive problem. It's kind of staring everyone in the face, and it's hard to find a solution because you're right. The schedule is all about who you avoid, it seems like. And with that being said, Jason, I mean, this game this week for both teams, and we don't want to be the prognosticators way down in November, but you really look at what both squads have for their next month of games after this one on Saturday. And it's very favorable. I would say it's very safe to say the Hornets and the Grizzlies should be hefty favorites in their their next four games, which makes this showdown massive. From a, a team that's 2-0 and in Big Sky play, and that's what Bobby House has been saying all week, hey, this is one of the three teams that we're looking up at in the standings right now for Big Sky play. So uh, it's a big game on a lot of different levels. And it is unfortunate that you look at the schedules and it's more of, okay, this is who they don't play rather than who they are playing. So being someone that's been in Missoula many times and uh, Bozeman, love them both, love going there, love the atmospheres, you've had a chance to call that uh, Grizz-Cats rivalry. What Describe it. What's that like being there uh, when those two teams play? It's so many emotions year long, right? And you've been up here. You see the crazy passion that, that's here with Grizz and Cats fans. But I would say more than the game itself, it's the 364 other days that this rivalry is always present. It is always there. No kidding. I mean, every time you talk about the Grizz, okay, well, what are the Cats doing? How are they doing? And it's just a constant back and forth. You go on fundraising tours, and the number one thing that's talked about is the rivalry itself. And it's such just a, a fantastic buildup to the season, the fact it's always on the, the final weekend. And really, I mean, you, you ask Grizz fans, and this sounds crazy on the surface, so okay, would you rather go to the playoffs, be big sky champions, and say bow out in the quarterfinals, or would you rather go 3-9 and nine and, let's say, and beat the Cats? And more often than not, more people would say, hey, as long as we beat the Cats, I'm good for the season. So it, it is that intense, and it's a rivalry that is so special because it lives all 365 days of the year. I, I, I don't think I recall this, so you, you would correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, have they met in the playoffs in recent, you know, last 20, 25 years or so? They have never met in the FCS playoffs. So that could be uh, fascinating in its own right, especially since what we've seen in the last decade or so with the playoffs maybe being more regional and playing conference opponents. So it has never happened before. But if it does, I think this state would uh, absolutely lose its mind for the week of buildup for that game. Yeah, well, I know uh, Hornet fans, I tell them every time, hey, when the schedule comes out and the Hornets are going to Montana, you have to make the trip. There's no place like it. I know I look forward to it. One of these days, the Hornets will come out of there with a W. We'll see what happens this week. Riley, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday, and thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem, Jason. Thanks. All right, Hornet fans, thank you again to Riley Corcoran. Thank you to Joe Davidson. That's the stage. It's set for another massive matchup in the Big Sky. If the Hornets can somehow win, as Riley mentioned, the schedule's set up favorably. Even if not, you know, it's it's one loss, and you kind of get back on track and hopefully uh, continue to go in the back half of the season with some uh, winnable games out there. So we'll see how the Hornets perform, see if they can get that first-ever win in Missoula. We'll be back next week for another edition of the Stingers Up Hornet Football Podcast.